everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Leading in a Crisis podcast. I'm your host, Tom Mueller. On this podcast, we talk all things crisis management, and we do that through interviews, storytelling, and lessons learned from experienced crisis leaders. With me again today is my co-host, Mark Mullen. Mark, how are you? Hello, Tom. Doing well. Thank you. Good. Thanks for being with us again today, Mark. Today on our podcast, we are heading to South America, into Venezuela in particular, and we're going to talk with an old friend of mine in Caracas. Maria Eugenia Fuenmayor is a longtime PR executive and crisis counselor in Caracas. She is president of Interalianza Consultores, uh, based in Caracas, uh, where she counsels companies on marketing, PR, and crisis issues. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom, and thanks, Mark, for this nice invitation. I think the first risk we are facing is myself, because I have quite a long time without talking English, and uh, let's see how risky this is. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on. So, Maria, to get us started, if you're introducing yourself to uh, to folks you're just meeting for the first time, tell us your story. What would you like people to know about you? First of all, I am a Venezuelan Spanish citizen based in Venezuela most of the time. But since uh, 2013, I started my own life as a consultant. If I knew this was going to be like this, I would have stopped my corporate life earlier. Nevertheless, here I am. My career originally was law. I am a lawyer, but it was a kind of challenge that I wanted to face at the beginning to start uh, learning about environmental analysis, understanding public opinion, and how to influence others. So since then, my first steps were in politics. Mm -hmm. So I started to work in the communication area for a presidential candidate. For me, it was astonish the experience. And since then, I have worked for several NGOs until I started to get serious and started private sector. My first experience was in what you call FMCG. It is an um, international company today, but in the old days it was only Venezuelan and it was uh, focused in food industry. So you can imagine how this was for me that starting to work in in Venezuelan environment with a company that produced most of the important consumer goods in food for Venezuela. So those days were very exciting for me because crisis management was almost every week in that industry. But after that, someone called Tom Mueller just picked me up from my food industry world and took me to the energy sector. So since then, I've been facing a lot of challenges regarding environment, regarding community and uh, human development programs, and basically connecting the energy brand 
with the, the real people. Sometimes engineers and a very techn technical focus divide people or divorce people from the simple life that is around the brand. That was my challenge. After that, I joined Craft Foods and then Craft Mondelez. And after that, my last challenge was uh, Nestle as a VP. And as I said, if I would have uh, realized that the consultant world was this rich, I would have started. <laughs> okay. Well, it is a very rich uh, sort of background that you bring uh, with the law background and then working in corporate communications. You and I worked together in the energy, oil and gas business for a while there and uh, and now doing consulting. So you've got a very wide range and a very interesting background there, Maria. So let me just jump right in and, and ask you, because I know you've worked with you know, a variety of companies and the major packaged goods companies, as you said, what were some of the crisis situations that you saw there? And, you know, how did management do? Were there mistakes made, lessons learned? How would you characterize some of those experiences that you've been through? Well, it wasn't an easy task. Because the realities that you mix in one company are not very similar. When you see the challenges that technicians and engineers face on a regular basis, and probably the soft part of a business, which is normally HR and communications, you see those are worlds that are not. Uh, definitely dancing together. So this is something that is very challenging when you face a crisis situation. One of the things that most that were more regular to see in in my days in FMCG was workers and labor strikes. Probably for us that would be one of the most significant challenges that we face. And in that particular uh, sense, for us was very, when I say us, I mean the soft part of a business, was very difficult to let others understand the, the, the way that things could be sorted out, not only internally, but externally. One of the most challenging experiences that we lived in Venezuela was very important strike in a biscuit company, which is the biggest in, in Venezuela. And uh, in those days, I'm talking about uh, maybe 2000, between 2008 and we 2011. One of the, the most challenging aspects was that normally in those days, the unions were very much close to the government. And as you know, we are under a very weird regime since 2000. In those days, it was very difficult because 
for a private company, it was very hard to get alliances and to get some kind of understanding of the process of manufacturing, providing, uh, doing all the efforts to provide uh, goods for every, every single town in Venezuela. In those days also, we started to see the human crisis in terms of food, in terms of energy, in terms of fuel. The, the challenge was uh, absolutely more defined. In this sense, probably one of the things that I learned was to be more effective, that communications should be more effective internally in educating the leaders from the hard part of the business. I'm talking about operations, I'm talking about finance. When we face crisis, normally we could uh, see in advance, we could foresee that things were becoming tougher and tougher. And we tried to alert in several times the top management of these things, but definitely there were other challenges that managers uh, should face, such as getting raw material, which was very difficult in, in those days in Venezuela. So at the end of the day, one of the big learnings for me is how to develop a more understandable education to those leaders. Since one is always reading what is going on outside the company, what is going on in politics, what's go going on in NGOs. We have a lot of information and probably the way we packed it wasn't as easy to understand to those leaders. This is one of the things that I've learned. But yeah, Maria, was... if I can just step in there for just a second, it's it's an important issue that you highlight here. Uh, and it cuts across sort of crisis responses for many companies. And, and that's the challenge that communicators have in not only monitoring what's happening outside the company, but making sure the executives within the company are aware of that and are aware of how their decisions and their actions might be influencing the external perception of what's happening. And, you know, when you work in companies that, that have lots of engineers uh, and, you know, finance managers and such, they tend to be more focused on concrete issues and less on, on those softer issues that communications staff deal with. But it sounds like that's one of the real challenges you're facing. Absolutely. In those days, it was critical. But I remember, and I'm sure, Tom, you would remember, there was a time, uh, first of all, our operation was located in a very, very pristine environment. And uh, due to that, the, the community, for example, was only indigenous, what are indigenous? is one of the, the 100 uh, group of indigenous that we have in Venezuela. Uh, these were located uh, among Orinoco River and 
the Venezuelan Amazonia. We started only in exploration phase. And in those days, since our company was very big and very notable worldwide, I remember that once we started operating only exploration, no production, only exploration, I remember there were some NGOs, international NGOs, flying around, getting around the communities. I understand their role and it is important because we also, as companies, we learn from them. But the thing is that in those days, they started to show up and create fake situations and it, it derived in fake communication. They started to say that there were spills in the river and it was absolutely impossible because we were only exploring. But before that happened, I remember I presented a huge program to the company. Since we were in a very pristine environment with a very fragile community, I gathered some NGOs and some anthropologists and some experts in order to pack a one program that would be 360. It would include all the commercial part for the indigenous to sustain themselves, all the education, bilingual education. It doesn't mean English or Spanish. It means what out Spanish and uh, health. So we try to pack a 360 uh, program. When I presented to the leadership, they decided that it was too early to think about that stuff. I was really frustrated. I remember in those days that I just wanted to, to see if there were other ways to influence the leadership. After that, these NGOs came around and started to create fake news about our operation. I remember this was read in the headquarters and in the headquarters, they asked to the leadership here in Venezuela what we were doing with the community and environment. <laughs> and then immediately I received a call from my boss saying, what was the program you showed me the, the other the other day? I said, great. So, so Maria, well, I was just going to ask because, uh, you know, influencing those decision makers is really a critical aspect of being effective as a communicator and as a crisis leader, right? Because you're, you're in that situation, you recognize what's happening in the external environment and you're trying to influence those leaders and decision makers to see it your way. I think that's a challenge that communicators all over the world face today. It sounds like eventually it took news headlines to break through the sort of engineering mindset in that, in that company. Yes. In fact, that experience really marked my life. After that energy life, I lived other lives, as I said, in the FMCG uh, field. And I remember my teams when we started to frustrate because the leadership didn't understand the programs and the tasks we were offering to the leadership. I used to say to them, let's weigh a little spill. We need a little spill. 
recreating the experience in Orinoco River with the in the international NGOs. Mm -hmm. And it's that really happened in every single responsibility we lived in in other companies. They need to see the sense of urgency to start doing the right thing. I believe in these days, things are becoming different because the, I, I believe that headquarters of the main companies have suffered so much. In, in our case, regarding cocoa, coffee, and uh, all those commodities that normally come from African countries or uh, very poor countries in Asia, then you see how the NGOs are always behind these brands in order to alert about mm, problems with the forest and, and so on. So in that sense, I do thank some of the NGOs to start creating this type of noise. Although in the reality, they are absolutely way exaggerated mm -hmm. with regard to the real stuff. So Maria, can I just ask, if you're thinking about trying to train younger communications staff on how to deal with these crisis situations, you know, if you were going to develop a plan to train younger teams, how would you do that? What would it entail? First of all, I would encourage them to be more proactive in terms of influence. Normally, when you influence others, you focus on your own experience. And part of the effectiveness of the influence process is to start talking from their reality and not the reality you're living. Yeah. But definitely, when I did the shift, when I started to feel their realities, when I started to feel in my own skin, the challenges with the numbers, the, the PNL, and all the stuff that they need to deal with. Once you start talking with their own language, things become much, much easier. That would be one of my first recommendations. That's, that's very interesting, Maria, because you're essentially highlighting one of the basics uh, around communications, which is audience analysis, right? It's knowing who's your audience, what are the care and concerns on their minds. And then if you can connect with theirs, you know, with those cares and concerns and weave your message into that, you're going to be much more influential in your communications with them. And I also Absolutely. think there's a point where communicators have to identify their first audience as being the people that they're working around. I think we tend to focus externally and what you're talking here about is a challenge of having your own leadership understand the importance of what you bring to the table as a communicator. And I really appreciate what you said about beginning to basically socialize them to the importance of communications well before you're in the middle of any sort of a crisis. Because by definition, re responders want to pick things up and set them down and put things out and start them up. And that's that's what makes them good every day. That was, that's what lets their company produce something. Um, but they walk into a, circumstances in an incident or an issue 
where they're in, they're in new territory. And again, I think it's good to hear that you see that emphasis on making sure communicators are speaking into that environment every single day. Absolutely. And there would be another advice that I would add, and it would be don't be innocent. And let me explain you why. Compared to the old days where things more easy, I would say, in the past, I find much easier ways to deal with challenges. When you, for example, understand how the press works when you are in a special situation, then you know you still have some time to coordinate and to elaborate and to train others and to pick up some other uh, ideas from the environment to put, to pack in one holding statement, key messages and all the routine for these things. Nowadays, it's very challenging since you know that everyone is a journalist. You don't even know if your main enemies are inside because you don't know what the, what, what are the agendas that are connected to the outside world in your company. I've seen it. Part of my responsibilities were to deal with Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, Bolivia. And in, in several years also, I was uh, taking part of a Central American team. It was exactly the same performance. You see that when you analyze, when you monitor the environment, and you start to pick up some contents that you see in, in Twitter, in Instagram, that you start to, hey, here, there is a watch out. And I believe that in those, compared to the previous days, nowadays you have some trends that you could pick up and start developing scenarios to your leadership. Those things, we will not be able to see it as easy as we see it now. The challenge would be how to involve the decision makers in this process in the early stage. How difficult the, the business agenda is. You need to put people aware of the things that you are starting to, to watch in media, in digital media. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like you need to do some crisis exercises with the leadership to help them think through some of the challenges that may be coming along. That includes some scenario planning, right? Thinking about different ways this scenario might play out. And that's something we do a lot of today, you know, is running crisis tabletop exercises. Maybe it's just one hour or two hours. But if you can get those executives in the room to sort of think this through, then, you know, you have the opportunity to influence them a bit more. The description you gave about some of the issues you've dealt with resonated with with me and what I've seen some of my clients go through. And I, and I do think that one of the challenges is even when as communicators, we have learned to think more rapidly and learn to an analyze more quickly uh, we end up going back to operators who, by and large, are most successful when they're deliberative and when they have time to think through a problem and think through a solution. And they just don't understand that 
in today's media world, you don't have that time. So I do have a question, though, in, in that in the United States, we have a very set way of responding to physical events like fires or floods or oil spills. It's, it's called incident command and unified command. So we all tend to fall into the same sort of process up here to deal with the response. Do you have that sort of structure in Venezuela where there is a standard way that the government interfaces with a company in a crisis or a standard way that the company itself responds? Well, I have to be honest with you. This country and all the countries that have similar regimes in this region have lost the institutionality of the process. I think the world is changing rapidly in front of our eyes and all the rules and the, I would say, principles that normally the companies should have, not only because they believe in do the right thing, but also because there are laws in the country where you are working. These is not anymore here. We depend on the goodwill of the companies and the good sense they would have. Maria, we've been going for a while here. Thank you again for joining us. But I, I wonder just as we close out here, if you think about again, you know, those young people who might be figuring out, you know, what to do with crisis and how to prepare for that and just your advice once again, you know, what you would recommend. First of all, always monitor. Always monitor your environment. Second, people is first. People always has to be first. And when I say people, I mean internal and external and influence. You need to develop skills to influence others. That is key in a crisis situation. Communications is not anymore an activity for journalists or people specialized. All leadership has to be a communicator. You cannot rely only in a communication team, the responsibility of being transparent and influential. All right, Maria, we're going to have to leave it there now. Thank you very much again for joining us on the Leading in a Crisis podcast. It's so good to see you. And thank you for sharing some of your experiences. And I hope we'll have you back on the program in the future. I hope so. I'm so delighted to see you and to meet Mark. And please, I would like to join you as many times as you think it would be interest for your audience. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and join us for future episodes. Mm -hmm.